Hi, I'm Rajorshi Dash and you're listening to Queerness and Storytelling in India. Today I have with me Sandeep Roy, who is a writer, journalist and broadcaster based in Kolkata. He's the author of the celebrated novel, Don't Let Him Know, which is, uh, how old is it right now, Sandeep? Uh, much too old. It's <laughs> six, been about six, six, years? Six, six, seven years, yeah. Yeah. And he's also the host of the podcast, The Sandeep Roy Show on Audio Express. Uh, so welcome to this show, Sandeep. Thank you. Thank you, Radhishya. And I'm really grateful that you could take out time for this um, kind of more amateurish, as I was saying, uh, attempt to collect and curate stories about queer lives and queerness. I was reading your recent article uh, on the Bengali Harlem, which is about uh, this time, if I'm not mistaken, between 1917 uh, and uh, 1965, when Asian migration was criminalized and people didn't really think that there would be migrants of, you know, either Asian origin and in this case of Bangladeshi origin. But you, in a way, kind of talk about uh, this documentary uh, that is being made. Uh, and I think it's already out. Yeah. Uh, so I was wondering, like, since this story is also about belonging and leaving traces, much like your novel, do you, like, approach writing differently as a journalist as opposed to as a novelist? Or is it pretty much the same? In some senses, I think it would be pretty much the same because in the end uh, whether you're writing an article or a short story or a novel or an essay uh, for me it is always about trying to tell some kind of story um, I'm quite linear that way unlike many other writers you know I, I need to know where I'm headed and where I'm starting and that is true of both my fiction and non-fiction but yeah, of course, a novel is kind of different because you can leave a lot of things more open-ended. You don't have to tie up all the loose ends. Uh, in an article, you are making a larger, you know, usually you're making a larger point or three points and you have to get it uh, across within, in a sort of prescribed word count. So there's certain economy that you have to be conscious of and you have to be much more compact so yeah I, I mean that article is definitely it's a more constrained form because also uh, the other thing is uh, an article you're writing for somebody you know, somebody has commissioned it somebody has asked for it a novel in the end you are writing for yourself and you and you hope that in the end somebody else finds it and interesting enough to publish but in the end, but there's no guarantee that they will. And so, so in a sense, you're writing for yourself. So, so in that sense, I guess it is somewhat different. Uh, I don't know that the writing style is necessarily different because that for me, I think it is my style. Uh, and now I've been at it long enough that I can even catch sort of my little cheat tricks and uh, <laughs> things that I do. Uh, and that is irrespective of whether it's fiction or non-fiction. That's interesting. I mean, you talk about the form, uh, which is really uh, very important to your 
novel because when one reads it, it can easily be a collection of short stories which are connected in uh, like a very in a very sort of relational way. It's almost like a map uh, that uh, one can one can follow. And I was wondering, like, um, why did you choose? Like, because you spoke about linearity as something which is in your mind when you are approaching, uh, let's say, in terms of work, this is what you're going to do. But when you, when you, when this novel came out, it didn't feel linear, even though in a way it was, because there's that. Uh, it starts with Ramola. It sort of ends with her as well, and. I almost felt like Ramola was the protagonist, even though it didn't seem to have like one central character. Um, so I was wondering what inspired this kind of uh, structure uh, that you had. Well, uh, in terms of don't let him know, I think the linearity is within each of the stories. Um, I actually, each of the chapters that eventually became the stories, I had a very clear idea of where each one was going to begin and where each one was going to end when I started writing it. Now, the fact is then the process of writing that ending might have shifted or the beginning might have become the end or whatever. But to get down to it, I knew like if there is a third chapter has a, is about this, it's set where uh, Romula's husband, Avinash's ex-lover comes to visit him at their home in Kolkata. And at this time, Avinash is married uh, with a small child. And the whole thing is, is almost like a little chamber piece where these the men are having this somewhat loaded conversation which they cannot say out loud. Ramola is aware of the undercurrents in that conversation, but she can't admit to it. The kid is unaware and happy that the stranger. So, so but... When I, I remember very clearly that when I wrote that, um, the last that chapter ends with the ex-lover leaving the house and, and Romola and Vinash are watching him from the, uh, you know, she's on the roof, I think they're on the terrace or something. But I had that scene very, very clearly in my head as the last scene of that story, even before I had written the first line of that story um so it was for me the linearity came in going from the opening sentence to somehow to that last scene that i had already mapped out in my head you know i that was a, the story was the process of getting from point a to point b but i take your point about that it, as a book it is non-linear because it goes back and forth in time but uh, that also came about not entirely intentionally. You know, I was writing, in fact, a bunch of short stories and then realized that they were about the same people, but just at different points in their time, in their lives. And I thought then that it would be interesting to kind of string them together in that way as a, as a collection where each chapter could stand alone as a short story to someone who didn't read anything else in the book but that chapter but taken together they could add up to a lot more that they could add up to a novel that the secrets unfolded in a in a certain chapter have a certain resonance in a different chapter or if you have read the first chapter 
you might know why in the fifth chapter someone reacts the way they do to some random comment. Um, so, so in that sense, I, it was kind of uh, then as a writer that became an interesting and fun exercise for me to to write it in a way that each could be standalone and yet be part of a larger whole and uh, to somehow then fit the pieces together as a jigsaw puzzle, almost like a jigsaw puzzle. So in that sense, uh, you know, that sense, it wasn't linear. But even within that, I did group the chapters together somewhat linearly. So if you notice, the first three chapters are all connected by one central event, which is where Romola opens a letter that was not meant for her, you know, and you see the consequences of that in the first three chapters. The next three chapters are really flashbacks into the protagonists as youngsters. Um, so, so they are like connected in that way where you learn about other secrets in their lives, but now you've gone back in time to their time as youngsters. And then, you know, eventually, as you mentioned in the last chapter, you come back to where the book sort of started uh, to sort of complete the circle as it were. And yeah, I did uh, think of all three as protagonists and uh, maybe maybe Romola more so than the than the others. But uh, but to me, it was also that it was the family was a protagonist as a whole, because I just wanted to look at what looked to all appearances like a very placid, unremarkable and quote unquote happy family and show that within that happiness, each of them had these secrets that the others didn't know. So I was interested in uh, look, in treating the family almost as the protagonist of which Romul, you know, of which I, it's like a, the family was the solar system and these three characters were the three planets in it. Yeah, and also like, because you said, uh, uh, like fam- the family is a protagonist. I was also thinking how the cities also seem to have a life of their own, especially uh, Kolkata. Uh, and there are some, certain sort of instances, like Avinash as a young kid going to the salon, um, getting a, like a massage along with it. And it's something that one can relate to. Uh, maybe not now, but uh, earlier when we had these very non-AC kind of, you know, salons, like where you just, would just go and think people would know you there. And sometimes they would just give you a massage. And I remember it was so, I don't know what's the right word, like titillating or something else. But yeah, so I could relate definitely to the way some of these characters were moving back and forth. Because Avinash, of course, goes back to the university town, then comes back. uh, And the university town also has a life of of their own. Uh, But I'm, I'm also interested to ask you, uh, how should one approach a character like Ramola, who is, uh, it's so difficult to, let's say, what's the right word, to sympathize with her for the fact that her husband may not have loved her, but it's also difficult uh, to completely um, uh, love her because she doesn't share the fact that this person had sent a letter, but then you cannot judge her. Uh, so there's this, you know, interesting trajectory you talk about her, uh, the sexual kind of uh, 
I, I don't know what's the right word, but she almost kind of uh, orders this young boy to unzip, right? And then you have this another woman who hides the letter. Then you have this older woman who goes to the uh, to this uh, bar, if I'm not mistaken, and has a great time and almost befriends a drag queen, if I'm not mistaken. Or sorry, it's, I think it's just a trans character. This was a drag queen, actually. It, it was. Oh, yeah. And and I was just wondering, how do you? It's almost like uh, this amazing person who has this amazing adventurous life. And I was wondering, what should be a queer way of looking at it? Like, as a queer person, how should a reader uh, approach a character like like Ramola? Would it be difficult to kind of label her or put her in any boxes? I would hope so. I would hate for. Uh, one to be able to put one's character in a neat box because I think uh, none of us really can be put in neat boxes even though the world at large constantly tries to do so. You know, our lives are tend to be gloriously messy. And, uh, and in fact, I think right now, you know, this debate around pronouns and things like that is just just like the tip of the iceberg into the spectrum of lives people lead and that the fact that uh, you know A is gay and B is gay does not necessarily mean that their lives are very are that are very similar. Um, so in that sense, come back to Romola's character. See initially I had a far more simplistic notion of a character which was um which was the, the, and that was actually the first thing I ever wrote. The first chapter in the book is not the first chapter I wrote. It was not written chronologically in the way it appears in the book. The first chapter I ever wrote was actually the second chapter in the book, which is the story of a woman who arrives in this university town, newly married, and she inadvertently opens a letter uh, that has come from India because she's just so excited that there is a mail from India and discovers that the letter was intended for her husband and it is from a former lover and the lover was a man. And that's all. That's that. I wrote that story and uh, that was it. It's pretty much similar to the way it finally appears in that in the book. And that appeared in a long ago anthology as a standalone story. I remember when I wrote it as to how would this person react to this discovery? And I felt that as a person who was alone in that country, her I didn't couldn't see her quite confronting him because I, I was like, where is she going to go once she's confronted him? Uh, you know, so in that, in that story, she does nothing really. She just sort of turns away. You know, she goes into a shell, as it were. But that, but she stayed with me, and this is partly because at that time also I was involved with this group called Trikon, the South Asian group based out of the U.S. So the stories of gay men who had gotten married because they couldn't resist family pressure and all of that was very common. You know, I I had heard many of those stories, and I would always wonder. And we would hear it more because, you know, the, those gay men would sometimes come to events we organized and things like that, or we would hear about them. 
but it always made me curious about the lives of the women, many of whom in those cases didn't even know the husband had this other gay life. And it made me think, like, what if they discovered? How would they react? But Romola, after that story, Romola's character stayed with me. And I kept wondering how the rest of her life would go. You know, what were the secrets she would have? And and as it's as a process of that discovery of Romola for me that led to the other stories in the book. And I discovered, you know, and I started wondering, like, what, what would her own desires have been? You know, and I did not want her to, I want, didn't want her to be a sort of a doormat of a character who would just take what fate had dished out to her. But I also didn't want to be unrealistic in which, you know, she would, uh, you know, this was not going to be a situation like fire or something like that, where you're in an unhappy marriage and so you catapult into the arms of your sister-in-law, which, you know, I remember when I first watched fire, of course, it was this groundbreaking film and you had a major actor like uh, Shabana Azmi and so as in terms of queer gays that you're talking about it was huge but of course it was very problematic in the other sense the way it was framed that the fact that oh um, that their lesbian relationship seemed to be the outcome on both sides of an unhappy marriage with a man who did not love them and so they found solace in each other and what what, which a lot of people had problems with but what also I thought about later was that you know when it ended you wondered and so where are these two women going to go now you know like can you just like walk out onto them out of this marriage in this very middle class family in Delhi and just walk happily into the sunset and set up a home and everything like what is the day after going to be for these women. And so I, I wanted Maria Romola to be more realistic where she will bite her options. And I think for me, what made sense was that that Romola would want to come back to India where she felt on more firm ground, uh, where she felt like she could, she was on more sure footing. She was around people she knew and stuff and, and that she could sort of carve a place for herself more in India than be sort of the uh, F2 or H2B, whatever, wife of her husband that she would have been in America. And so in, in my book, she sort of almost forces the husband to come back to to India uh, to raise there and where they raise their child and family. And so in that sense, you know, in, a, in terms of a queer gaze, you know, I don't know that as a that there is a particular queer gaze in which to look at her. But I think I was, my queerness when it came to Romola was to both uh, look at her as a complicated character and see how her life develops. And that it doesn't necessarily go along the lines we expect either as the tragic, suffering, you know, Sati Savitri type type of wife who will stand by her man, even if her man is not standing by her to the end and will go uncomplainingly to her fate, nor necessarily as the very feisty firebrand who will take no shit and, you know, give as good as it she gets and perhaps walk out on this man or whatever, you know, but that her life would fall somewhere in the middle as I think many of our lives do, you know, that um, 
the one that we, you know, we all fight our own battles and then there are battles we choose not to fight and walk away from. And I don't think Brahmula is that different in that sense. Mm. You mentioned fire and I was actually uh, thinking about how lonely some of these characters are. And uh, that's something which I felt both about Ramola and Avinash. Of course, in Avinash's case, it's we don't get to know more, a lot about his loneliness, but it seems like there's an undercurrent of that, especially when he meets his uh, old friend in that uh, in third third chapter that you mentioned earlier. So I was thinking, yeah, more in terms of how uh, people, a reader can sort of relate to her sense of loneliness and uh, the moment then when she interacts with the drag queen. And actually, I was really looking forward to know more about this person, the drag queen, uh, what happens after that. So maybe in the next novel, I don't know if you're working on one, but I think you are. I think you briefly mentioned that you are working on one, isn't it? I'm working on a book, but it's not a novel, really. And oh, it, it has nothing to do with these characters. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for a sequel <laughs> of starts. Um, uh, I'm terrified of sequels. They never <laughs> live up to the really? original. Very rarely. And ironically, or like your, uh, or maybe not ironically, but uh, in the title, it's of course never let him know. So the he is very prominent. Uh, Actually, was... the title um, "Don't Let Him Know" comes from uh, I am terrible at titles, and uh, this <laughs> title we struggled with the title for this for a long time. Um, at my working title for the book was "For Here to Go," which is a line in the first thing. You know, when you go to a McDonald's where Ramola goes to McDonald's and the person asks for here to go and she doesn't understand what they're saying and she says yes uh, which is sort of a you know common kind of first time immigrant kind of story uh, that I would hear but it obviously didn't make sense as a title for the book because nobody in India would understand what what a book called for here to go was about and uh, Dia Kaur, who was then my, who was the editor um, at Bloomsbury and commissioned the book, uh, she came up with this title because it's a line from a Lewis Carroll poem from Alice in Wonderland. And the poem is about secrets and it is the poem that is uh, mentioned in the last chapter of the book. So, so it's, it sort of made sense because the title, it was a reference to something that I was obviously working with in that last chapter, Alice in Wonderland. And uh, don't let him know, you know, has this idea, intriguing idea of secrets or something, which is what the book is about. Uh, the hymn is not really there to suggest Avinash, uh, even though it could be construed as Romola not letting Avinash know that she had found the letter or whatever, but the hymn is just there because that's it was don't let him know in the poem by Lewis Carroll. Not I, you know I I could might have said don't let them know, just as easily. Yeah, yeah. Although it's it's really about not letting to some extent the men know because even the son is. Yeah, not I mean yeah, you can that, read yeah. it that way. I'm just saying that when it was. <laughs> It chosen it was just because that's how Lewis Carroll wrote it, not yeah. uh, not because I I had any particular hymns in my mind. But uh, but I'm glad. I mean, that it works out. And since uh, a lot of your works, whether it's the article that I mentioned earlier uh, on this particular 
novel is about companionship. I was keen to um, understand your take on gay companionship, given there's so much of content on not just social media, but OTT platforms like Amazon Prime, you know, Netflix coming out with a lot of stories around gay marriages or same-sex love, which I found to be somewhat more sensitive compared to their representation of trans characters in, let's say, films like Chandigarh Kare Ashiki. Uh, and you also interviewed as part of your podcast, Rituparna Bora and Amrita Tripathi. And it's a lovely interview. So I was wondering, what is your take on companionship and particularly gay companionship? Is it something that you will explore in your forthcoming uh, works? Um, I think it's very important to show queer love. Um, not, a, not in a political sense, but because I think for a long time the traditional depiction of queerness and mostly I'm talking about gay male queerness here in literature and thing has been of this sort of wistful pining lover uh, you know where you're either pining for men who are unavailable to you or or in some senses even in as in my book you know it is an maybe a college love affair and then that ends where one person gets married and has family needs and you're you know you're you're like the third you maybe end up in the third wheel in a relationship i mean you would it was it's all it's a little bit of this karan johar film love triangles where (laughs) people would say one of the genders has been swapped in his films you often would have uh, perhaps one man and two women but Many people would say in real life, those were actually two men, both in, or rather a man and a woman, both in love with one man. But in the film world, gender had been changed. But but I think this all is to say that the traditional gay thing was that even the sensitively told story was about the love that could not happen, that could not find end in the kind of companionship that you're talking about. So so in that sense, I think it, this representation is important. Having said that, I would say that that doesn't necessarily mean that there is any sort of a, a political responsibility for writers and all to be showing gay companionship, same-sex relationships that are happier in their, in their works. You know, the the story, you can't write a story in order to show that then it becomes a pamphlet. Um, it becomes a sort of an act of propaganda that you're trying to. You write the characters that your story demands. And if your story demands unhappy characters, then, you know, gay or straight, they're going to be unhappy characters. Some people some people just like writing stories that are unhappy. You know, what are you going to do? You can't post-feed. What I think, but, but I think in popular culture in general, General, uh, it is important to show relationships, and that is why, in fact, that interview that you're talking about, and thank you for listening to it. So, um, in the case of the podcast we did with Rituparna Bora and Amrita Tripathi, I actually therefore wanted a podcast that was not about somebody who had written a book, and so we are interviewing them about the book they'd written, or somebody who'd done a scholarly a study on queer lives. But I thought, let's just talk to 
a couple and ask them, you know, about what it is like in or quote unquote ordinary couple, and ask them what it is like to live as a same-sex couple in a city like Delhi. How they met, how they, and so I wanted that portrayal of that um, everyday life without necessarily enormous drama or you know. Thing because I thought it was important to get that story out there that that these kinds of things are also happening and 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 in journalism you can tell these stories now I think in companionship though one issue and I'll make two brief points here one is that you brought up this issue earlier about loneliness and I think um, and this is probably even true now uh, when you grow up as somebody who does not who realizes at some point that you don't fit into a sort of heteronormative format track that the world has laid out for people around you, that that your classmates in school and friends and the neighborhood are all following, uh, there automatically will come a certain kind of loneliness. And no matter how you might say India, a place like India is much more accepting now than it was 20 years ago, but even even in California or something, I think the kid who at one point, at any point, realizes that they're that different from everyone around them does have to go through a point of loneliness. And that loneliness may not be, uh, you know, now you might have more resources at hand than, say, when I was growing up, you know, you didn't have gay groups or internet things, chat rooms and stuff and ability to meet other queer people. But the loneliness is a fact of life. And so I think that does seep into the characters. But having said that also in terms of companionship, and uh, this point is that I am also watching with some amusement the amount of copy that's generated in all kinds of media around gay weddings in India. Like people are having very fancy weddings, you know, with, with all band Baja Bharat and uh, multiple days, multiple outfits. Yeah, and designer. Uh, designer <laughs> and it's like supposedly the stories are going viral and breaking the internet. And part of me is like, good for them, go for it. You know, why should there not be this big fat gay Indian wedding if there's a big fat whatever other kinds of Indian wedding not something I might personally choose but I, I'm all for somebody doing it but I think there is also a problem there in, in the sense that for the casual person reading that copy or looking that, uh, that copy does not realize that that is not the reality of the lives of the 99% of queer people in in the country. And in fact, I know people who've read, seen that copy and think that uh, after the 2018 verdict decriminalizing homosexuality, same sex marriage must be allowed because all these people are getting married anyway. They don't read it and realize that this marriage has no actual legal meaning, that that fight is still being waged in the court. And uh, this was even true um, when. Uh, what uh, Ayushman Kurana did um, Shubmangal Zada Savdan, and when he was doing the promotion for it, he sort of invert inadvertently talked about same-sex marriage as something that had been legalized in the country, and he quickly later corrected himself, but he put out a tweet or Instagram post or something suggesting that, and so people just assume that these things have happened because they see 
the explosion of images, but don't realize that the reality is actually not yet lived, you know, as we say, picture a bivaki hai. I, uh, I, I was also thinking about uh, the kind of, let's, let's say when you said that, you know, what's the responsibility, the political responsibility of the writers. And simultaneously, people talk a lot about representation and the fact that like sensible representation of uh, both queer people on popular media. So would you say like there is a distinction between, uh, let's say, the story uh, or what story you are writing and what kind of beliefs you have? Uh, you also mentioned Tricone and the fact that you had an association with Tricone back in the United States. So do you usually draw a distinction that this is what my politics is like, but this is what I'm going to write about uh, because it's the story I want to tell. So is, is it possible to make those distinctions? To some level, yes. I mean, I don't think you can make, ultimately make completely, or let me put it another way. I don't think I can ultimately completely separate myself and, you know, now write a story that advocates for something I genuinely don't believe in. But as a writer, I should be, if I'm writing a homophobic character, for example, I should be able to write that character without necessarily demonizing him if I'm trying to show the world from his viewpoint, right? Um it, it's not about whether he's, what he's doing is right or wrong. And then I'll go back to give you an example from the book. In Don't Let Him Know, the main character, Avinash, is a man who is gay. And I'm using the word gay, you know, you could say it's never actually clarified whether he's gay or bisexual or what is feeling. But in my head, he was a gay man who gets married to a woman at some point, which is a story of hundreds of thousands of people in this country. But so as an activist or as an activist when I was involved with Tricone, this is something I would be upset about. Uh, I would be upset that somebody was had to resort to this kind of subterfuge um, when I would see ads, uh, personal ads from people saying, this is that it's a gay man looking for a lesbian to marry as a marriage of convenience. I would always feel very uh, perturbed by that. And then, of course, they had a whole film happening, you know, years later uh, on exactly that premise. Uh, so, as a as a as a person involved with Tricone, I would have probably have issues with. Avinash and the choices he makes, the fact that he doesn't come clean, that he hides this from his wife, and all of this would be very disturbing to me. And I remember going to a Tricone party and um, and meeting a guy who had come as an who was an engineer, who come from Bombay or Pune or somewhere, and he had come to the US on a short assignment, and so he was like really desperate to check out the gay bar scene there but at that same time he talked about how he was married at home with a child and uh, and how his lover was also married with a child but because you know because they were like friends the families were also friends and the wives would socialize and he to him he was having the best of both worlds he was having a family 
and a kid, but he also had a relationship with his sort of best friends, and the wives didn't suspect because the family and because the families were friends, they got a lot of opportunities to spend time together. So spending time to get them spending time together did not raise eyebrows, and uh, it was disturbing to me. But I could also see uh, that some for some other people it might sound really sound like a best of both worlds scenario where they can keep their families happy, get the family off their back, and yet not, you know, yet still have a gay partner and have a child and family that they were raising and all and social acceptance and all of that. And so when I created the character of Avinash, while I personally might not approve of many of the choices he made. It was important for me as a writer to not demonize him and turn him into someone that the reader would despise. You know, I wanted him still to be an empathetic character so that in the chapters which are told from Avinash's viewpoint and Avinash's story, I wanted the the reader to go along with him and not necessarily turn their faces away from him because they didn't approve of him. So in that sense, there is that distinction that when you're trying to create a character, you, you try and do it with as much empathy as possible for that character and the choices they are making and hold your judgment for another day because uh, because as, my, as a writer, it is not my... I mean, as a writer, I have life and death power over these characters. But I don't... But I... You know, but I, I don't want to sit in judgment of over them because in the end I think that would make for a very uh, dishonest story because then I'm, I I would really be just trying to make a larger political point you know about oh should gay men get married or not get married that's not the point of the story it's not about should gay men get married or not married the point of the story was what happens in a family in this family when this particular gay man chooses to get married, you know, what are the kind of shadows that it casts on his relationships with other people in the family. So that is what I wanted to explore and not not the idea of as an as a tricone volunteer editor activist, I could write the op-ed on gay men should not be getting married to women in this fashion. But that was not the purpose of this book. And and let me ask you this, when did you like come back to Kolkata. I'm assuming that you were, like, you had your early sort of childhood, like, uh, bring, yeah, I was, growing uh, up. Yeah, I, I came back to Calcutta, uh, Kolkata about 10 years ago. And was that, uh, like, to become a journalist? Is that what was your uh, plan? I came back uh, for family reasons and those to take a sort of article and some writing. And then the book happened after I came back to Calcutta. I'm just curious to know, because you have such an amazing podcast, like, so are you, is the target audience the same for the podcast as opposed to your uh, uh, novel? Or are you looking at a different kinds of, different kind of audience, different, and then inviting different kinds of people to talk on the platform? Um, that's a hard question because I don't think, uh, well, like when you write a novel, you have, really no target audience in mind because you have no idea whether even one person other than your editor will read it when it comes out. You, you just don't know. Um, 
and if anybody has it in a target audience in mind is probably your publisher whenever they choose when they choose to pick up your you know commission the book and publish it then they have a target audience in mind you you just write the story and you know hope it reaches whoever reads yeah. it and i had no idea whether the story i'd written would find more purchase within india or outside india or sort of in the diaspora versus people here or i had no idea about all of that so that has all been a process of discovery and in fact it is just so happened that since the book has come out much has changed in lgbt lives here in terms of the supreme court ruling and this and that so that has, in a way gave the book a new lease of life but even as i wrote the book i wasn't thinking of the book as a gay book per se or anything because as you mentioned rightly you know which is a lot of it is told from romola's point of view not uh, not the gay character's point of view and in fact um, somebody once said like oh you wrote a book about a gay indian character but there's no uh, in avinash's case there is actually no chapter that details his own real coming out story you know there's no chapter where he is realizing that he is gay other than maybe at the barber shop when he's a child and having these unexplained fantasies and attraction towards the barber um they you know there's not really a, any i mean when avinash there is no chapter for example that details what goes through avinash's own mind the time when he gets married there is no chapter there could have been if it was gay novel it could have been but it wasn't i was sort of more less interested in why he got married because i to me it seemed fairly obvious that he must have got married because for the same reason as so many gay people in india still to this day get married because they find the social stability and even the other day you know gay friend with whom i have gone to many seen at many gay parties and gone to many gay parties with sandhi announced on instagram that he is engaged to marry this woman as if all of that past life just didn't happen you know it just got wiped away uh, and everybody is also all of whom who knew this past life are all sort of at least on social media going along with it and saying oh wonderful news congratulations and i'm like reading it and going huh you know how like like why are we pretending that that all of in the last whatever 10 years of life did not happen uh but so you know so that was sort of the reason that i i did not want to create any of the characters as a prototype you know romola could not be the stand in for all women who ended up marrying to a, marrying a gay man avinash could not be the stand in for all gay men who end up getting married in the end you tell the stories of these particular people and hope it gets a larger audience the podcast is different because the podcast is something i was commissioned to ask to do by indian express and so from the beginning you know they give me a lot of free hand in terms of who to select and it's been an evolution in terms of trying to figure out what kind of stories to what kind of people to bring on and sometimes it's people who you know they have a book out so we they're doing interviews so we get them on but the, sometimes the more interesting things are also people who might have a story of their lives that are interesting to explore and in which rituparna bora and amrita was one of the examples of people who didn't really have a book out one in the news in 
any any sense but i thought this would be a facet to explore and similarly uh, one of my favorite episodes was actually with a woman named uh, sulochana gadgil who is uh, one of india's she's in her 70s now and she is one of india's most prominent monsoon scientists you know she studied uh, meteorology at harvard and then uh, with her husband madhav gadgil uh, they went there as a couple and they to do postgraduate studies there and then after that she came back to india and for years decades she was like the number one monsoon expert in this country and uh, i just thought it would be interesting to talk to her about what's going on with the monsoon but it ended up being this wonderful interview because she also talked a lot about what it meant at that time growing up in pune studying in ferguson college you know going abroad in the 1960s to study to going to america whether as a woman that was unusual a woman in sciences at the time and so her life story was actually just fascinating to me because i knew so little about it and it was just wonderful to hear her tell the story or the time when we had usha uthupon and and then she started singing all the different songs she had sung in adverts which i had long forgotten about they were part of my childhood and we're like oh she's the one who would sing that big skibori lo kich kich dur karo and the, all these ads she would sing she had sang for every including she used to sing the the ditty for nirod condoms was also an ushautup song um and she remembers all of those and she sang all of those songs in the podcast which was just fascinating so the that podcast audience is very much uh, i mean i guess the overlap between the book and the podcast is obviously people who read in english listen to things in english which is automatically a small very small sliver of india's population and so in that sense there is an overlap but i don't think uh, there's any intentional overlap between them it's just it just happens to be a very small market yeah yeah that's right um, and i'm also also thinking that ritporn of course is the founder or the co-founder of nazaria which is a, which is an activist kind of support group does great work in delhi uh my last question to you would be just seeking advice on what to do better while uh, recording a podcast as you can see my internet connection always kind of not unstable but i don't know what happens sometimes i have to shift move around a little bit so how do you get the sound right when you are interviewing someone or editing later so uh, well two things one because this podcast i do is through indian express so there is actually because there is a producer who is involved who is also recording uh but initially when we started the podcast actually we didn't do this by zoom uh i mean those were actually done physically it's i so it was limited by space and either in kolkata or delhi or bombay which is where the indian express podcasting team somebody or the other was present and could go physically to the house of the person we were interviewing and interview tape them there while i was on the phone talking to them from kolkata and taping them the covid changed all of that so then we started to do these zoom thing and uh, there's really no short answer for how to do it internet you can't control if your internet connection is bad it's bad you know there is nothing much you can do about it but the one sort of thing that always helps is uh, if the person you are interviewing is willing 
you can ask them to tape themselves uh-huh. on the phone or whatever. So you're like, talk to me on Zoom. I could have taped myself on my phone there. Mm-hmm. And then I could upload that. And then, so then obviously my taped version of myself will be exempt from some of the internet instability you're hearing uh, because uh, so so you'd have a hopefully a clearer soundtrack and then other than that you know only thing you can do the usual things is uh, turn off noise making things that are around you and uh, suffer in the heat or whatever yeah something which i'm doing right now noisy (laughs) fans yeah Yeah. But but it does help a lot if if the person can tape themselves. Not everyone's able to do it, so sometimes we have to rely on whatever the Zoom quality. Zoom's quality has actually improved definitely over uh, I think. But if you can get the person to tape themselves on their own, now, Zoom is a lifesaver. Uh, yeah, and usually it's kind of good. Uh, but when the other is noise, the noise reduction often reduces the overall noise, so you have yeah. to be so very. Uh, careful but yeah i should have asked you to tape oh god maybe, maybe that that's a good like that's good advice maybe i can request uh, my future guests yeah. to do that uh thank you so much for taking out time this is so good and and yeah i'm leaving tomorrow actually so that's right we won't be meeting uh i guess anytime soon but let's see when i'm back i hope you'll be also somewhere around if not in Kolkata somewhere else and we could just hang out and chill sure look forward to that thank you alright thanks Rajeshi thanks good luck